following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. Uh, We're going to look at verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to verse 18. Uh, Before we go any farther, a little bit of a legal disclaimer. Um, I have preached this message to myself all week long. So um, if it gets a little emotional, it's on me. It's not you, it's me, okay? Um, Super, super convicting uh, passage of scripture, super important for our church, and um, I just hope that uh, my prayer has been that it it lands for you as it has landed in my heart these past couple of days. Um, and then um, another note, uh, I, I preached a majority of this text in Thanksgiving, uh, I think last year, so if it sounds familiar, that's the reason. And if this doesn't work out, you just go back and listen to that one and you pick your favorite, okay? And so that's how this is going to work today. You guys good with that? All right. So um, if this is your first week, welcome once again. My name is Jordan. I'm so excited that you're here. And we're diving into Philippians. We've been studying the book of Philippians. And maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, um, man, what's what's been going on? Like, how, how can you catch me up to speed? Well, Let's do that, okay? Um, Philippians is a letter in the New Testament written by a man named Paul. Paul is an apostle. He is commissioned by the risen Christ to go and share that Jesus came, died, and rose again to uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, but primarily to the Gentiles. Um, Paul is in prison for his faith. He is, he's kind of a loudmouth a little bit, but he knows a lot. So uh, when he starts to declare the truths of Scripture, people get a little nervous. Has that ever happened to you in your life? Uh, you know, you, you, you proclaim something that you know to be true from God, and then all of a sudden, like, they, they don't like that a whole lot. In the first chapter, we believe that he is with one of his mentors, or no, sorry, he is the mentor of an individual who he helps. His name is Timothy. Timothy is going to become a great pastor and he's listening to Paul and he's kind of learning. And so we're kind of unsure who's with Paul in this prison cell, but we know there may be a few people. And um, the Philippian church is a church that Paul planted, okay? So he went on all these missionary journeys and essentially he plants this church in Philippi and they miss him. He's about 80 miles away. And so what they do is they send a guy to encourage him in jail, And Paul says, well, the only thing that I could do, uh, because I am in jail, is to send an encouragement back to you. And so this is the letter that Paul pens as an encouragement back to the church at Philippi as he's in chains for the gospel. And um, the Philippian church we know is kind of like us. They're established, they're growing, Um, they have Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, elders and deacons, they have good leadership, they're living doctrinally sound in this sin-cursed world, and um, we would see that uh, there's, there's some things that they're doing really, really well. There's not a lot of persecution present, so they're just enjoying um, being believers. 
Most of them are young, and, and uh, as Paul pens these words, some of them would be caught off guard because some of the things that he says, as Peter says, are hard to understand. So if you open up the Bible and you think to yourself, man, understanding this can be a little taxing, just know that you're in the same boat as the apostles, okay? Uh, they, they had the same kind of thought and um, theory too as well. But the Philippian believers approached Paul's letter with a lot of humility and, and gratitude. And as they're approaching the letter, Paul has been generally nice up to this point. And he's given them a lot of encouragement. And so let's go to verse 12. And here's where the pastor's pen really starts to kind of push on the hearts of men. And he says, therefore, knowing all of these things to be true, what things to be true? That I love you, that I care for you, that I'm praying for you as you advance the gospel and share your faith and live out the example of Jesus Christ who is humble. I want you to do a couple things. Now, he says, beloved, parents, if you're here before you discipline your kids, say, my beloved, before you discipline them, all right? That just softens the blow a little bit, all right? They won't understand. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. My parents said that, and they lied. Um, <clears throat> as you have always obeyed, have you as always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more since I'm not with you, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice in the text, it says work out, not work for. You need to mark that. Paul says work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. With an awe and adoration, fear and trembling before God. For it is God who is at work in you because of the Holy Spirit that you have received, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, that's kind of the foundation for the rest of the text. And what Paul is doing is he's giving a command to the beloved. He loves these people. He cares for these people. He, he thinks they're great. And he has a special request. That request is continue to work out, not for, your salvation with an awe and adoration for God. In other words, what he says is, Put into daily practice externally what God has done to you internally. So if you have confessed, Romans chapter 10, repented of your sin, believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and call yourself a believer, a follower of the way, then you have to start acting like Jesus. And you need to put into practice in your daily life what it looks like to be like Christ. And so Paul says this means you're going to strive to eliminate anything that is fleshly and submit to the Holy Spirit with a fear and a trembling. Yes, Jesus is our friend, but he is our father. And we should have a humble awe, adoration, and respect for our heavenly father. Sometimes we get a little bit too passive with Jesus and we love that he's our friend, but we forget he is also a God who judges Right, And we will be called to give an account for the actions, believers and non-believers, of the things that we did here on earth. And so Paul says this should cause you to live a certain way. You should put your trust in God. You should trust his plans, his purposes, and you should work out your salvation. In other words, put into practice, eliminate the flesh, depend on him. And my question is, as I was studying this, what does it look like to work out my salvation? Well, Paul says that's how you are sanctified. I'm going to give you the whole sermon, okay, right here. You can write it all down. And if you want to go to lunch, great. But I would stick around, okay? 
He says, this is how you live a sanctified life. When I confess my sins, repent of my sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am justified of my sin. The word justification means that you, uh, you, you don't have to worry anymore. If your sins are paid for, you're justified, you're freed. But then justification moves us into sanctification. And sanctification means that you are set apart for a specific purpose for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul talks about sanctification, he's saying these are little things that we can do to be set apart for the gospel. In other words, this is how you can become Jesus in your everyday life. Look at the first thing that he says. The first thing that you're going to do is you're going to stop grumbling and disputing. Whoo, help me, Lord, right? Verse 14, do all things, not some things, <laughs> all Things. You can circle that word all because all things means, ready for this? All things. <laughs> Without grumbling or questioning. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? What are you getting at here? Part of the sanctification process, becoming like Christ, means you live in a healthy balance of having a fear of offending God, that's disobedience, and an awe and respect for his majesty and holiness, that's obedience. I do not want to disobey the Lord. I want to obey the Lord in all things. And the Philippian believers were still getting the hang of what it looked like to serve God and having this Christ-like trait, and they would get irritated when Jesus frustrated their plans. They would also get irritated when other people came into their life who frustrated their plans. And the church said, amen, right? So now they have a problem. They are grumbling and complaining because God is working. Isn't it amazing that we grumble and complain when God is at work? So Paul, he says, hey, two actions I want you to stop immediately. Not just think about it, not pray about it, quit it, okay? First one, I want you to stop grumbling. Now the Greek grumble is really funny because it sounds like what it is. It's a murmur, right? The Greek word grumbling is a term that actually sounds like a low tone of voice. For those of us who have kids, we know exactly what murmuring sounds like, right? Go clean your room. I can't believe you telling me to clean my room. What? What'd you say? Nothing. Love you. All right? That's murmuring, okay? Grumbling at its core is an emotional rejection of God's providence, his will, and circumstances for your life. If you grumble about anything, you are emotionally rejecting God's providence, his will, and the current circumstance that he has placed in your life. Now, here's what's crazy. Nothing new, right? We go back to the pages of the Old Testament, and we see the Israelites, they grumbled constantly in the wilderness, they were super upset. God's like, hey, you're slaves and I'm gonna free you. And so uh, they, they did, they were freed. And then all of a sudden they wandered and they're like, we were better as slaves. And God's like, what? Are you serious? Like, do you remember what it used to be like? We could think about that, right? We're saved and then all of a sudden God starts doing a crazy work in our life and then we're like, you know what? It was so much better when I was a non-believer. And God's like, what? No, it wasn't. You're, you're so crazy. You're a crazy little kid, okay? Grumbling wasn't or was the root problem of the sons of Israel when they disposed of Joseph, if you know your Bible. And as believers, if we grumble and we complain, it shows just how worldly we really still are. 
A complaining spirit leads to fighting. Fighting leads to quarreling because complaints come from unfulfilled desires which lead to envy and strife. And Paul will say in other letters, it must not be so. If we should grumble, it should be to God alone about our own sinfulness so that he will forgive us and cleanse us. If I get upset about anything, I should get upset about myself and the sin that trips me up and entangles me. And I should plead to the Lord, help me to put on a new heart, one that rejoices in the current situation and struggles that I'm currently in. Stop murmuring to God about your situation because he wants to work in it, and he can't work in it if you are constantly complaining about it, right? I guess. That's, that's not what God wants us to do. He also says, stop disputing or debating with one another, specifically God. <laughs> I love this because it ties into the last one. Disputing or debating is the intellectual grumbling, Okay? It means that we criticize negatively towards God or argue in a legal sense with him. This is when you look at your kid and you say, go clean your room. And they go, you know, cleaning our room's an interesting thing. This just happened in our house yesterday. I'll tell you what happened. Bethany looked at our two beautiful little girls and said, it's time to go clean the basement in your playroom, which is a mess. Okay? And they looked at it and they said, oh, mom, we can't do that. And she looked at him and said, why can't you do that? There's Legos all over the floor. Surely there's something else that needs cleaned. How about our rooms? And you know what? She gave in. You pray for her. She said, that's fine. You go clean your rooms. And I thought to myself, they won. (laughs) And in her mind, she's like, no, the rooms got clean, right? I won, okay? It's all perspective and how you look at it. But it was interesting as they were debating with their mother, I thought, man, what do I debate about God with? When he wants me to get rid of some sin in my life, and I look at him like, it's really not that bad, right? It's really not that big of a deal. Now, here's what's transpiring in the New Testament text. Many Philippian believers were going to civil courts to settle their disputes. This was an action that Paul just was completely against in the Corinthian church. And arguments arose from the Philippians and their pride in their achievements. Look how good I am. And it was popular amongst philosophers in the day to impress other people with their accomplishments. And Paul's making it clear that believers, you're not to act that way. How are you to act? Oh, well, let's go back in the passage. He says, you are to act like Christ. Go in uh, chapter 2 where he says, have this in mind among yourselves, which is Christ. Who didn't mumble and complain or argue with God when he went to the cross. Jesus asked a simple question to God before he went to the cross. What was it? If this cup could pass from me, let's do that. And God said, nope, there's no other way. And he says, well, then pour the cup on my head. Have this in mind to be like Christ, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. See, what's happening and transpiring in chapter 2, verse part, is, is totally connected to the second part. That he was a servant, You can't grumble and complain when you're busy serving. Mark Twain said, don't complain and talk about your problems because 80% of people don't care and the other 20% will think you deserve them. (laughs) Seriously, though, why should we stop mumbling and complaining? Look what Paul says. First thing, if we mumble and complain about anything, we are living in complete opposition to the attitudes of Christ. I don't know how hard that hits you, but man, that hits me. 
Believers are to emulate, call to live like Christ daily, die to self. That's chapter one, to live as Christ. There's no shortcuts in this. Christ is full of humiliation for us. And he says, don't, don't mumble, don't complain, don't debate, don't argue. Two, complaining and disputing hurt Christ's church among unbelievers. If people listen to what is transpiring and, and, and what is happening in your conversations, in your workplaces, in your homes, about things that are transpiring here because we're grumbling and complaining, they want nothing to do with Jesus and it harms our testimony. It hurts us as a church. I can't, well, do you know what Karen did the other day? Stop! God, I'm sorry for what I did to Karen that makes her feel that way. Let's see our own faults and problems. I tell this to my kids all the time. The only person that you can control is yourself. And what did you do in that situation? My kids are great. They're like, will she, will she? And I'm like, will you, will you, right? And that's, what, that's what's happening here. Paul's saying, hey, let's, let's, let's act on being Christ-like. Let's act on making sure that our testimony doesn't hurt uh, what's happening outside. And then look at this. Uh, complaining and arguing are the reason why we have more church splits. That's why we have a first, second, third, fourth, and fifth Baptist church. We have to not be this way. We are united, and look, it goes back to, therefore, uh, chapter two, verse nine, God highly exalted Christ, bestowed on him the name that is above every name because of his humiliation and his humility that he didn't murmur and complain, but considered it a blessing to be a servant. Let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Your tongue should confess that Christ is Lord. So Paul gives the command to move into being blameless and innocent. In verse 15, look at the very first part. He says, do all things without grumbling or questioning, complaining, that you, notice he doesn't say others, may be blameless and innocent as children of God. So instead of complaining and disputing believers were to seek after these two traits. Let's, let's talk about them. What does it mean to be blameless? Good question. To be blameless means that you are above reproach. That means that you invite no justifiable criticism. It means that if I were to come up and talk to your coworkers and I would say, hey, tell me about Jordan Muck. What, what's he like? That they would have no criticism against you. I don't know. I, that's hard. To be blameless is to be faultless, without defect or blemish, not being able to find fault in someone or something. And here's the deal. It's impossible without Jesus. Like, this is totally impossible. Paul's desire here for the Philippian believers is that there be no legitimate ground for accusation on them when the Lord returns to judge. The Greek word here is blameless. It's sometimes translated hornless. It's like creatures who have teeth but don't bite. Or they have stingers that don't pierce. One commentator says it like this. If you carry arrows, let them be dipped in love. If you bear a sword, let it be the sword of the Spirit. It is that you would be above reproach. It is the aim and the goal of believers. I think Paul says it better than I ever could in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 7. And these things you too once walked. He's talking about your old ways. When you were living in them, but now... As believers, 
You must put all of those old things away. I used to grumble. I used to complain. I used to swear. I used to smoke. I used to drink. Blah, 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 blah. Pick your sin, right? We all have them. I used to be angry. I used to be wrathful. I used to get mad and punch doors. I used to speak harshly against other people. I used to slander people's names when they weren't looking. I used to have obscure talk. All that things. Paul says, you put those things away. And don't lie to one another, right? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is the power of Christ in you, which is being renewed in the knowledge. That means the study of God's word daily so that you know how to implement those truths and being a reflection, which is Genesis chapter one, made in the image of God to reflect his glory. You are a mirror that reflects the glory of God. Impossible to do by yourself, completely able to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. That comes from the repentance of sin and the belief in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's how you are blameless. That you daily wake up and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I understand I'm a sinner. Here's, you're gonna have to work with this, right? There's a lot going on here. Work with this. And so then he says, you are to be innocent. And the church, he's talking about the church as a whole here, was to be pure, The Greek word there describes wine that hasn't been diluted or metals with no weak alloys. To be innocent figuratively pictures one who is both honest and sincere with others and themselves. So it's easy sometimes to put on a front for others, but we often lie to ourselves. We're good at that, right? Like I'm really good at lying to myself. Jesus used the exact same word here. He told the disciples in Matthew 10 verse 16, You are to be innocent as doves. Paul told the Romans in Romans 16, he said, you should be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. You know what he's talking about there? That you should be keen on what the scripture says and not really knowledgeable about what's transpiring in the world. That hits home to me. I think sometimes I know way more about what's happening in the world than I do in the word. I know there's some of us out there who are more concerned about the trends instead of the text. If you ever met somebody who's naive, like just cling to them. That's good. When you have somebody in your life who who somebody starts talking about something, hey, you, you know that dirty joke, right? Like you understand that, you get that, right? And they're like, no, I've never heard that in my life. Like love that person, cling to them, okay? Naive about things in the world, that's what it means to be innocent. True innocent comes from the proper understanding and the implications of the biblical text. Charles Stanley says it better than I ever could. He said, God intends that his children act as beacons of light in the dark world, that they show the way to spiritual safety for those who are lost. But if our behavior is characterized by corruption, in other words, if we're just like the world, how will people know the word? If we complain and we're self-centered and all that things, we will not be different from any unbelievers. Here's the hard part about what's happening and transpiring in our society. I cannot tell believers from non-believers apart anymore. I can't. I, I have no idea, believer or unbeliever. Like there's, there's things where they just mix because we're more concerned about the applause of people than we are about the applause of God. And I'm in that boat. I'm 100% in that boat. Like let's do this together. I'm in that there will be nothing to recommend us or Christ in whom we believe for salvation. 
So we ought to be nothing within believers, individually or corporately, that would be weakening to the strength as a church or contaminate its truth, which we learned about in chapter one. If you as a believer are filled with disputes and arguments and bickering and divisions, it cannot be blameless and innocent. If you are, if you are consumed with, with all of these things, these disputes and arguments and bickerings and divisions, then, then you're consumed with the ways of the world and not the ways of the word. And, and the way to get out of that is to just stop and to repent and to just pray and just ask God, God, it's me, it's my fault. I'm to blame. And so here he says, this is how you fulfill the mission of the world. You walk, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, keep it in context, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You pray to the living God to ask him, Psalm 139, to point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. How many of us pray that prayer every day? How many of us pray, God, point out anything in me today that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life? And here's what God does. He's like, this, 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 and we go, well, I'm just gonna have to pray about that. There are some things that you know are wrong and you need to immediately amputate those things fast because they are a sickness, it's sin that is holding you back from the potentials that you have in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if your left eye causes you to stumble, it might be the right one, I don't know, I can't remember, cut it out. He says, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. What he's talking about there is radical amputation. If your phone causes you to sin, then guess what? Get rid of your phone. Your computer causes you to sin, get rid of your computer. What about my spouse? What do I do with that? Get rid of yourself. (laughs) See, he says that's when we start to look inward, right? That's me. I need to radical amputate. That's what Jesus says. This is how you become blameless and innocent. You get rid of it. You're like, hey, but I really love that guy. He's a really good friend. She's a really good friend. No, she's not. Sometimes the cost of following Christ means that you're going to lose the cause of the world. You're going to lose some good friends. And some of us go, well, I don't have any friends. You have a friend in Christ first and foremost, and you pray for other godly friends that they just start to pop up all over the place. And you think to yourself, well, I didn't ask for that friend. Yes, you did. And you need that friend sometimes. Okay? So he says, be children. Look at the the end part, verse 15. That you would be children. This is God's children. How do children come to God? In humility. What does Jesus do when he accepts the children? He accepts them with humility. He says, let them come to me. Because they are not blemished in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. Among you, shine like lights in the world. Hold fast to the Bible. Hold fast to the word of life. Because in that day of Christ, I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. And as a pastor, man, those words just pop off the page because here's what's happening. We preach week after week after week. And if you go out and just like uh, 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 practice habitual sin, then this is for nothing. All this work is for nothing. Paul's like, whether I'm with you, because it's easy to act right when the pastor's there, right? Sometimes. Or I'm not with you, you would act like Jesus. But it's better if you act like Jesus when I'm not there. 17, even if I am to be poured out, even, and what it's saying here is even if I die for the gospel, for the sacrificial offering of the faith, even if I'm murdered and killed, I am glad and I rejoice with you because we're in this together. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. 
When we refuse to grumble and complain and strive to be blameless and innocent, depending on the Holy Spirit, we're found as children. That word children, if you want to circle that, is the word technon of God. In other words, it's like father, like son. And I don't mean this in any disregard or disrespect to my earthly parents, but I would rather act like my heavenly father than my earthly father. And my earthly father would say, I would rather you act like your heavenly father than me. Paul's using similar language uh, that was used uh, by Moses to describe the nation of Israel when they went astray. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5. Don't have to turn there. But he says, they acted corruptly towards God. We've done that. And to their shame, they are no longer his children, but they're warped and crooked. And believers are called to be the opposite of Israel that rejected God, were to be without blemish, above reproach, standing out in the world. And Paul says, or we ask Paul, how do I do that? And he says, well, here's, here's how you do that. The first thing that you do is you reject this crooked and twisted generation. You reject the people who are bringing you down. But, but pastor, I'm bringing that person to the Lord. No, you're not. You haven't shared the gospel with them at all, and they've been friends with you for five years. No, you're not. But you don't understand, pastor. Here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to win her to Christ, and then we're going to get married. That's dumb. That's missionary dating, and it doesn't work. Because she's going to be more dependent upon you than she is about Jesus. And if something goes south with you, which it will, then she's going to think it's Jesus. And so here, what Paul's saying is you have to reject those crooked and twisted people. See, the Philippian believers are living in a generation that was filled with dishonesty and perversion. Sound familiar? And Paul doesn't want them to lose their Christ-like qualities. So sometimes you have to do what Jesus did, and you have to remove yourself from a crooked, cruel world to pray and to fast and to read. But, but Jordan, those are boring. God loves the mundane. He loves it. Satan loves to be flashy. He loves to put things in front of you where you're like, ooh, shiny lights. Jesus loves it when you are detached from those things and you are just saturated in the mundane. Circle that word missed. In the middle or among means that God placed the believer in their current generation. You're not of that generation. So we're implanted so that we might impact. But if the world starts to impact us, we retreat, we regroup, we regain composure, and then we go back out. And some of us need to regroup and re get our composure back, and then we can go back out. I got asked this the other day. Somebody said, what is the biggest problem with the American church? Great question. Easy answer, consistency. It's, it's all consistency. My dad used to say this to me all the time. He's like, Jordan, if you would just be consistent with the things of God, you would watch the things of this world fade away. And so when we are consistent with the things of God, our light shines in the midst of darkness. You never have to apologize for being saturated in the mundane. Paul says you never have to, to apologize for that. In John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Light shines through the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. So we reject this system that is set up by Satan, who uses unsaved individuals to accomplish his will and his purposes. There's a great significance to that word, in. You're rescued out of the present evil age, and you're no longer of the sinful world, but you're not taken out of the world. 
So believers, those who have repented of sin, believed in Jesus, are in the world and have been given a commission to go into the world. And as we go into the world, it's like the church of Philippi. We need to fulfill its mission in the world the best way we possibly can do so by being blameless, by being innocent, by not grumbling, by not disputing to others and to God in the midst of a depraved culture. Jesus told those who believed in him two things. Matthew chapter four, verse 30, uh, for chapter five, verse 14. You, talking to you, are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Another way to say this would be what Daniel said in the Old Testament. And Daniel's a great model to follow for this, isn't he? Like if we looked at all of the traits of Daniel, if we were to study Daniel, which we don't have time for today, but that would be, be super fun, right? Like let's just stay till eight and we'll just unpack Daniel for a while. Um, there's one. Okay, so... Uh, if we were to do that, okay, you would notice that Daniel is all of these things. He is not grumbling in his current situation. He is not disputing or arguing. He's just asking simple questions. He has surrounded himself around friends who are also blameless and innocent, depending upon the living God. And he says very clearly, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness are like the stars forever and ever. So the question on the table is, and like I said, I'm, I've been preaching to myself all week. Am I a child without blemish in this world? Am I pure and blameless? Do I stand in stark contrast to this, quick, to this crooked, twisted generation? Do I shine like a star? Casting so much light out into the darkness that it is the prescription that people need for their depravity? Those are good questions. And you know, some of us, we're going to get down on ourselves and we're going to say, I'm, I'm not. Here's the greatest part about being a follower of Jesus Christ there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The God of the universe is the God of 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 17th, 22nd, 552 chances. Like, isn't that great? Like, you can just constantly come back to me. He's like, I failed again. He's like, man, how's that working out for you? It's not. Okay, well, what did you do wrong? I don't know. Well, let's read the word. Oh, that makes sense, right? A good doctor once said, there's two kinds of believers, those who whine and those who shine. I love that. So the prayer for today, and, and let's do that. Let's, let's just pray for this. Let's close up our Bibles and let's just talk to our Heavenly Father for a minute. God, this is, this is my prayer. Uh, you and I have been talking about this all week. And, and I, I just love your word and the fact that it's truth. And the fact that it, it, it just impacts my soul to the point where I've shed tears this week about how I've done it a disservice. And I just... I just want to go uh, before you, before we, we go any farther and just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the ways that I have grumbled against where you've put me sometimes or where you've placed me sometimes or the, 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 the amount of situations and circumstances that just, it just feels like I'm in deep water, God, and, and, and I don't know how to swim. 
And we collectively come before you as a church and we ask for your forgiveness for, for, for the things we've done to other people here in this place and the things we've done to other people outside of this place. The way that we've taken for granted the, the word of God. If you're truly sorry, if you truly want forgiveness, then you tell God that. Say, God, I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. I plead to you. Forgive me of my sins. And he will. He will. He will. He does. He forgives. He restores. He gives hope. He gives life. Thank you, God, for being the God of second chances. Thank you, God, for being the God of 200 chances. And now, Lord, we plead as the Philippian church pleaded on their knees to you to be pure and blameless, to not depend on ourselves, to depend on you and your word and your ways. God, help us tomorrow to get up and have the passion to get into your word. Help us to go to bed tonight with a passion for your word. Help us to be dependent upon you and you alone, like children, like children that we would ask you because you love it. You love when we say, Dad, Dad, Father, Father, help me. You let us ask as many questions as we want, whenever we want, however we want. Some of us aren't praying to you because we think we have to have these certain words right or we have to put them in a certain order. (laughs) And Jesus teaches us, you can cry, Abba, Father and that you will come and do a great work in us. We have to eliminate our pride, and we drop that today. God, eliminate pride in me. Eliminate pride in our church. Help us, God, to walk as children without blemish to shine in such a cruel, dark world. May we be children without blemish in this world of darkness because we know even the smallest amount of light pushes the darkness back. May we know the joy of Christ today, the joy of our salvation, what it means to be restored, redeemed, reconciled, forgiven under the cross of Christ. God, create in us a clean heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.